our testosterone comes from abroad and comes in a gel form. So this is the first patch. And my understanding will be that this will be a choice for women who are using it for low libido. But then once we've got, well, what we need to do is is, um, run these trials and work out if testosterone is helpful for other symptoms and if so, what symptoms. So we can make sure that when we're prescribing things to women that we're doing it with the most information and, you know, most transparency and making sure that women are aware which symptoms it's going to help and which symptoms it isn't. And that's the voice of Dr. Sarah Hillman, a practising GP specialising in women's health care, who is deeply concerned about equal access to menopause care. And she feels that that should include the ability to have testosterone patches produced in the UK. This is the Lizard Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. I'm Lizard, and as I hope you know by now, I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. And today, as our starting point, we have a really exciting dive into some groundbreaking research. A company born out of research at the University of Warwick has raised almost £3 million to develop a testosterone patch for women suffering from low libido and reduced zest for life due to the menopause. And if clinical trials go well later this year... This, the world's only testosterone patch, will be made available in the UK before a worldwide rollout. Well, this is very good news and will hopefully coincide with more research being carried out into other potential health benefits for midlife women who may be experiencing low testosterone levels, including symptoms of brain fog, mental clarity and a general lowering of cognitive function. Well, I'm speaking here as a midlife fan of testosterone, which I started taking on a daily basis once I got established on my replacement oestrogen and progesterone. Although it's only available on prescription for low libido, and that's very hard to define, as we'll discuss in a moment, I noticed an almost immediate improvement in my mental capacity. I found that my thinking got crisper and sharper, my memory improved, and in particular, I stopped grasping for words when I was speaking. And I don't know about you, but I do notice this amongst many of my girlfriends that I talk to. Those who are taking testosterone do seem to be that little bit sharper. Now, of course, that is a sweeping generalisation and I'm prepared to be shouted down. But I often wonder when I hear midlife and older women struggle to find the right words, whether or not a tiny bit of testosterone might just be helpful for them too. And of course, we know that testosterone is not just for men. It's a feminine hormone too, being produced in the ovaries and one that like oestrogen declines with age. So presumably topping it back up, you would think could be a good thing. Well, Dr. Sarah Hillman is a GP, a member of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists, a researcher and lecturer. And I'm delighted that she's here to talk us through the significance of this incredibly exciting sounding development of the world's only testosterone patch, as well as some timely testosterone research news too. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast this week to chat about this. Testosterone is a subject of great interest to many of my listeners and of course, so topical. It seems to be in the news a lot more these days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no problem, Liz. Thank you so much for inviting me on. No, it's fascinating. And do you want to talk a little bit about your background? Because you're based at Warwick, aren't you? You're a GP, but you're also a researcher and a lecturer. Yeah, that's right. So I spend part of my time as a GP in South Warwickshire, helping many women. I'm a specialist in, in women's health. So I spend a lot of time talking to women about the menopause in particular. Uh, and then the rest of my time I spend as a clinical lecturer at Warwick University and as part of that, I do research into women's health and specifically the menopause. Fantastic. You are just the woman that we need to be talking to. So I received a press release uh, this week to say that Warwick University has raised almost £3 million to develop a testosterone patch, which is, I think, the first of its kind. Yeah. And this is just fascinating. So testosterone is obviously something that's being taken seriously as a potential hormone for women, which is sort of relatively new, isn't it? Certainly, you know, looking broader than maybe libido. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think this is really interesting for a couple of reasons. I think the first reason it's interesting is because, as you said, testosterone is something that we're starting to um, learn more about, really, and, and its benefits. Currently, NICE, which is the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, has said that, that we can prescribe for women for low libido in particular. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't got a, it's not, we're not able to prescribe for other reasons. But the National Institute of Health Research has identified this as a key area where there's a gap in research. So they've actually put out a call uh, for all of us as researchers to um, t- to decide uh, and ask women as well mm. what they want us to investigate more. So that's going to happen in the next few years, actually. And women will hopefully be able to become involved in what we call randomized clinical trials where we work out the benefits of testosterone and if it can help for other symptoms such as brain fog. Yes, I think it's it's absolutely fascinating, but also enraging. And it kind of calls into the whole gender inequality in healthcare that the research has never been done. When we know that testosterone is a female hormone, it's produced in the ovaries more actually than estrogen and is found in brain cells and does affect cognitive function and all sorts of things. But the reason that it's not licensed is that the clinical research, which obviously licensing is based on, hasn't been done because nobody's actually bothered to do it. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I think it is really interesting. At other places in the world, more has been done. So in Australia, for instance, Australia's um, really advanced in a lot of their women's health research, but but in this area as well, actually, there's a professor, Sue Davies, who, who, who has done quite a bit of work. So if people are interested, have a little look at her work. Mm. But yes, in this country, I agree, more definitely needs to be done. And I suppose the other reason it's really interesting is because we we know that women are choosing to use their HRT topically, as in through the skin mm. rather than orally for, for lots of reasons. One being that it's actually um, safer. Yes. And we know that there is huge problems with our pipelines of getting HRT into the country often, into our practices, into our pharmacies, and, and then through to women. Mm. And the idea of being able to have a medication that is produced in this country could be extremely, um, extremely useful, actually. Absolutely. And can we just talk a little bit about patches? Because obviously you're a, you're a GP and you're prescribing oestrogen and progesterone patches, either combined or oestrogen on its own. Yeah. How does a patch work and what are the benefits compared to, say, taking a tablet? It's really to do with the oestrogen component. You're quite right in that there's two hormones in HRT. There's oestrogen and progesterogen. You need to, to take both unless you haven't got your uterus or your womb anymore. And that's because the oestrogen component is the part that helps many of the symptoms of the menopause. But the progesterogen component keeps the lining of the womb thin. If you take the oestrogen without the progesterogen part, then the lining of your womb can get thicker and that can put you at increased risks of changes to those cells, which might increase the risk of of cancer of the womb so it's really important if you have a womb that you're taking both mm-hmm. if you haven't you can have just the estrogen component right now estrogen traditionally uh was given as, a, as an oral medication but we've moved now to giving much more transdermally or through the skin and one of the massive benefits is is that that has only very slightly or maybe not at all an increased risk of a clot uh on your leg which can move to your lung and that can be a really serious thing actually mm-hmm. and and there's other things that might put you at slight increased risk of having those clots. So, for instance, if if your weight's higher, if your body mass index is higher, you're at increased risk. Uh, if you do a lot of traveling, for instance, you're at increased risk. If, as you get older, you're at increased risk. If you smoke, you're at increased risk. Right. So actually, it kind of makes sense to prescribe the safest thing. So that's why there's been a lot more pressure, I suppose, on the system to be able to get these patches through our medical pipeline and through to women. Mm. And and as you know, Liz, there's a lot more people have been asking for it, yes. which, is a, which is a good thing. But but that, that again, then puts some pressure on our on our pipeline. So anything that can help by producing these things in this country can I, I think can only be a good thing. Yes, definitely. I mean, I use the oestrogen gel. Yeah. So that's yeah. also going in transdermally. Absolutely. But I have to use quite a lot of it because I don't absorb very well and I actually found that I was probably absorbing a little bit more if I was using a patch I guess because it's stuck on my skin and it's delivering oestrogen 24 7 Mm. through the skin so I have been told that you know for some women who who don't absorb oestrogen particularly well that actually a patch could be a better option than a gel what do you think yeah so I think you know what 
what I say to, to, to the ladies that, that come and consult with me is that there's no one size fits all. Sure. Some women get on brilliantly with the gel. Others, as you said, get on, get on well with a patch. Occasionally people have a, a bit of a reaction to a patch or, or, and there's actually not just one type of patch. Nice. Um, <laughs> when we can get hold of them, yes. uh, th- th- there's different, they're, they're different types. And then for some women, they, they struggle with taking it transdermally and they do need that oral medication. And sure. occasionally people even, struggle with that and need implants and the mm. the implants would only really well they do only happen in secondary or tertiary care so that's in a hospital setting right but having you know what choice is the most important thing isn't it here isn't it? and having options yeah yeah definitely and in terms of testosterone coming through a patch this is obviously a very exciting piece of research and, and development how long is it going to be you know you, you you talk about nice you know putting yeah. tenders out if you like for for clinical trials and that's going to take years presumably for the patch to actually be created it's we're not going to be seeing it you know this year i mean it's going to be a, a way away is it yeah so i think i think the answer is yes i'm not directly involved in um, producing the patch but at the moment our testosterone comes from abroad and comes in a gel form. Mm-hmm. So this is the first patch worldwide, actually, that's being produced. So again, have it giving people options, which is a really good thing. And my understanding will be that this will be a choice for women who are using it, as we said, for low libido. But then once we've got, um, well, what we need to do is 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 have um, run these trials and work out if testosterone is helpful for other symptoms and if so what symptoms so we can make sure that when we're prescribing things to women that we're doing it with the most information mm, and, sure. and you know, with most transparency and making sure that women are aware which symptoms it's going to help and which symptoms it isn't. Because am I right in saying that we have testosterone receptors in our brain? So it is actually a hormone that we find within our neurochemistry. Yeah, I, I think you're right in saying that, Liz. I think it is, it is different to estrogen, for instance, though, because you don't have this... As you go through the menopause, your estrogen really drops, and that's yeah, one falls of off the, a cliff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. that's why women suddenly yeah. start getting the palpitations, the hot flushes, the night sweats. Mm. Testosterone doesn't do that as much. It's a slower decrease, actually. Uh, so it peaks sort of thirties, and then it, and then it's as slower to go down. So it is different in in the way it is. But the, I mean, there's you know, don't no disputing the fact that some women, particularly for low libido, we know testosterone helps. Yes, and of course libido itself is 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 quite a complicated idea actually right yeah how 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 do you define that i mean how do you yeah. know that you have low libido just because you know you might not fancy it or be in the mood i mean does that qualify yeah. as low yeah. libido as a clinician what's your definition yeah i think it's really hard and as a gp my stance is to ask women exactly what they mean when they're talking about low libido mm-hmm. it isn't uncommon Actually, when I sit down and talk to women, you know, you're not thinking about having sex or is it that you don't want to have sex? And if you don't want to have sex, why is that? And actually, sometimes we find out there's other things going on. So it might be painful, actually. Right. Uh, And it might be that Mm. you're suffering with symptoms of the menopause in the vagina and vulval area. Right. And that can be treated with giving some estrogen topically in that area and that can really help actually make sex less 
painful or, or not painful at all, which is what we want. Uh, and therefore, women's libido comes back because they right. know it's not going to hurt. Yes. Um, so there's, there's a, you know, yeah, and, and it is and complex. It is complex. And sometimes, actually, I start talking to women and find out that actually there's other there's other things going on, mm. actually, in yeah. their lives that are putting huge pressure and stress on them. We often talk about women being in the sort of sandwich generation at this age. They're looking after teenage kids that can be trouble uh you know they might be caring for for, (laughs) caring for parents getting Mm -hmm. older and and they find themselves in this (laughs) in this really stressful situation Mm. so you know is it that they're not thinking about having sex because actually they're thinking about a million other things as Mm. well and i think as with all medications it's working out who the women are that the medication is going to work for because we're prescribing it for the right reasons and when we prescribe medication for the for the right reasons for the right women it works mm. it isn't isn't it just so i don't know what the word is enraging typical whatever uh, that the only clinical licensing for testosterone or not not even licensing in in this country certainly but but in australia is for libido i mean clearly it was a male panel that thought oh right we might not be able to have sex so let's make sure that that we can dose up the women on testosterone and license it for this let's not worry about brain function and you know brain fog or cognitive health but actually you know let's make sure that our sex lives are okay just as we you know can get viagra over the counter even though it's you know got potential heart issues you can still walk into your pharmacy and, and buy it and yet women in this country I know in Europe you can go and get HRT over the counter from your chemist, but certainly in this in this country you can't. There, mm-hmm. It just seems this gender inequality, not you know, stemming from lack of research yeah. from the very beginning, but then also a focus on actually what's really important and what's not important. And it seems that the yes. brain health of women seems to have been massively overlooked here. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I hope that with the publication of things like the Women's Health Strategy, that we are starting to really focus on the needs and concerns of women. I mean, you're right, aren't you? Historically, that's exactly right. And we can go back and we can see how uh, women have massively been absent in pieces of research, you know, not included in trials. And mm. But I hope that we're at a turning point now. And mm-hmm. certainly my impression is that we are starting to get more calls for research through bodies such as the NIHR that are focused on women's health. And and I really hope that we're at a bit of a, a pivotal point now to making sure, and, and it's the responsibility of, of, of all of us that work in these academic institutions to make sure that that happens. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. As a practicing GP, what's your anecdotal view on testosterone? I mean, I know the clinical trials have yet to happen, but I can speak from my own experience, which is that when I added testosterone into my mix of HRT, I had a much crisper train of thought. My memory came back, my brain fog lifted, and I just feel more alert. And I feel more alert taking testosterone small amounts daily then when I don't take it what do your patients report back to you in that area yeah I think it's really interesting Liz because uh, effectively I suppose we've in primary care so what this is the at the GP level many of us can't prescribe testosterone initially because it is not on what we call our formulary so we have something called a formulary and that decides what we're allowed to prescribe in primary care and what we need to get a hospital doctor to initiate before we can take over. And in many cases, testosterone is currently on this list. That means that women can wait a long time to see a specialist before getting on to testosterone. Mm. Anecdotally, women tell me that it helps. But that is really why we just need that or this body of evidence because once we can get it then we can go back to panels such as as nice and once it's included in guidance then suddenly the pathways are much clearer mm. uh, and prescribing can happen at a primary care level as well i mean as we know at the moment with the nhs there's huge delays into secondary care for all specialties and women's health is certainly no exception. Yeah and it's often pushed way down the list. In terms of prescribing is it a postcode lottery because I know that there are some parts of the country where women do seem to have access to testosterone on the NHS. I mean the majority it seems not but there are patches where, where it is available. Yeah, so my understanding is that these things are decided on a regional basis. Right. So, so yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right there at the moment. Which seems just so wrong, doesn't it? That that in you know you'd have to move house in order to get your testosterone prescribed for you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I I think that 
all the extra work that's being done is really going to help to build a much clearer picture, actually, of who we should be prescribing testosterone for. And I yes. think that can only that can only be a really good thing. Um, I suppose GPs are getting really experienced at prescribing HRT now, I think. I think there's been yes. a big shift in the last few years. And GPs are incredibly... They get a lot of GPs get a a lot of bashing about things. But actually what GPs are really quite good at is understanding what their patients concerns are and reflecting to those and upskilling in areas Mm -hmm. where they need to. And GPs really are doing that now in terms of the estrogen and the progesterogen that we've been talking about, which actually for the majority of people, for the majority of women is enough. Mm-hmm. So now what we're talking about with the, the addition of the testosterone is that sort of that extra level, that more specialist type care. But I mean, I'd hope that eventually, yeah, you're right, this will happen at a more primary care level. And you might be aware of something called women's health hubs. No, tell, no, t- tell me about women's health hubs. So I think that certainly um, the the Royal College of Obs and Gynae have really been talking about this idea that women might have a place where all women's healthcare can happen. Because as you know, often you don't just go to the GP to ask about one thing. So let's just say I've had a baby. And actually what I want to do is I want to talk to the doctor about my stitches but I also want to talk about the fact I might have a prolapse and I also want to talk about contraception mm-hmm. and all these things and the idea is that in this women's health hubs effectively women will be able to get care through all stages of their well, reproductive life really but it is going to be focused around women's health so you'll be able to see a primary care doctor but with us with a specialist interest the idea being that you talk about sort of postcode lotteries, I suppose, but there's also a bit of lottery as to which doctor you might see, even in yes, your own absolutely. practice. Yeah, tell um, me. Yeah. yeah. So actually, in, in these situations, hopefully, you know that when you're going to go and see the doctor, you're going to see somebody with a women's health uh, focus. But what I would say to women is, if you go and see your GP and you don't quite feel that, that they're the right one for you, do ask who the GP is with the women's health focus because in most practices there's one uh, at least and you'll find then that they're the ones with that extra bit of knowledge that that will be able to help you hopefully. That's really good advice and before we go Sarah I'd love to chat to you about the socioeconomic divisions as well. I know that's that's uh, an area of focus for your work as well, because not only can it be a postcode lottery or a lottery as to how informed and how trained your GP is, but in terms of your demographic and where you are basically in society, that there is a, a, a huge divide, isn't there? A real division. Yeah, that's right. So um, back in 2020, we did a piece of research using the NHS primary care prescribing data. So that's all the prescribing data for GPs. And what we found was we broke women down into sort of groups divided by their socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. So that can that can have lots of different things that might be to do with employment or uh, lots of different things that add up to what your socioeconomic status is. But what we basically found was that women that were going to the most affluent practices because they lived in affluent areas yes. were about a 
30% more likely to get prescribed HRT than women in the most deprived areas in England. Gosh, that's a so, big difference. Yeah, really big difference. So so basically, we had the stats behind it. And then obviously, recently, um, I don't know if you caught it, but I think it was in the Independent, and another group did something very similar and, and came with very similar conclusions. So we then went to National Institute of Health Research, and we said, look, there's this gap you know there's this what we call this menopause gap and what's happening here and why is it happening because what we don't know is what lies behind that percentage and so we said to them that we want to explore this more and what's great is that they funded some research now we're going to go out and speak to women and find out those women living in the more deprived areas in England but also particularly those with a South Asian heritage or black women and we're going to find out what their thoughts are around the menopause care that they're receiving and HRT and work out why this gap might be because actually until, stats are fine but until we actually speak to women mm. we, we don't know exactly what's behind that really interesting and of course one of the the resources that I very much uh, like and I'd like to, to to finish perhaps by hearing your view on that is the balance menopause app because that's a free app and it has a symptom tracker which enables you to track symptoms before going to see your GP which I've heard other doctors talk about and say that it kind of fast tracks the conversation because you can actually show a record of what's happening to you and, and what's bothering you and, and you can print it out and then you're GP can have an immediate sort of scan through it and and I know that you only get sort of eight to ten minutes per patient so it can be very hard to to track all the symptoms what's what's your view on the app yeah well I think um so I haven't explored the app myself but what I would say Liz is that the the more prepared you can go to your consultations Mm. the more you're going to get out of it but that of course opens up the in what the inequalities that we were talking about more because if you can't access these things because you haven't got access to digital technology or right. maybe your first language isn't English mm. or all these or all these things or yeah. actually you you know what you've got so much else going on in your life you can't even <laughs> download the app then what that means is that actually you you're more likely to get HRT aren't you I'd have thought if you've worked this all out before and you sit mm. down in front of your doctor and you say look at all these symptoms that I've just tracked and this is what I need. Yeah, this is what go, I need. Oh, that yeah. sounds like a really good yeah. idea. Um, okay. You know, uh, and I suppose <laughs> the, what we want to know is what's happening to those women who don't do that, I think. Mm. So mm. I think, you know, resources that can help you to work out and be the most clued up that you are before accessing your GP are a really good thing. But what we can't do is leave behind those that aren't able to access those things for reasons. Access to healthcare generally is a really complex issue. And as you've just pointed out, it happens even before you make that appointment with the GP. Mm. So I, I think it's it's a really interesting area, Liz. Well, Dr. Sarah Hillman, it's really interesting to talk to you too and to hear about all the good things that are happening, even if they are a few years away. But thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. 
Well, what a lot of things we have to hopefully look forward to. But how enraging that it's taking just so long. And I was reminded during this conversation about other areas of healthcare gender inequality, such as the trials of common everyday pharmaceutical products that were not tested on women before being licensed. Simple medications, you know, such as painkillers and statins, do they work for women? We don't know. The clinical trials were carried out on men. And as we know, women's pain responses are different. Our chromosomes are different. Our hormone levels and our levels of fat distribution are different. In fact, there are many physiological differences that may well alter the way medicines affect us. So how do we know these medicines will work in the same way for women as they do for men? Well, in many cases, we don't know because they haven't been tested. But of course, we do have lots of anecdotal evidence. And just because something isn't licensed doesn't mean that it can't be prescribed. You know, many common medicines are prescribed off license, especially for children, because most licenses are obtained for adult use. This doesn't mean they're unsafe. It just means they haven't been through extensive regulatory channels. And sometimes doses need to be adjusted too. For example, some women, myself included, don't absorb oestrogen very well through the skin. So I need to use many more pumps of oestrogen gel than it's licensed for to get enough oestrogen into my bloodstream. And that's been tested and verified by blood tests. So it means it's still safe. I don't need any more progesterone to protect my uterus from any thickening of the lining here as my circulating blood levels of oestrogen are well within range. But this is the kind of tweaking that Sarah was talking about earlier when we discussed HRT not being a one-size-that-fits-all option. Very much in the news this week, with some menopause doctors being criticised for prescribing higher levels of oestrogen than are licensed. But of course, they're only prescribed when there's an indicative need, and higher doses are actually needed sometimes to control symptoms. And this happens with all kinds of medication, not just replacement hormones. So it's odd that there's been such an outcry about this. Perhaps it comes back to the same issues about gender inequality in women's health care. I'll leave you with that thought to consider. Well, on that subject, and just as a little tease, by the way, I will be talking to Dr Louise Newson, who is, of course, such an expert in the menopause and is also at the sharp end of all of this in just a few weeks' time. So lots more to discover and digest then too. And if you want to listen to that or any future episode ad-free, you can now subscribe to the Lizar Wellbeing Show Plus on Apple Podcasts for a very small monthly fee. And once you're a subscriber, you get 24-hour early access to those ad-free episodes too. You'll also find lots more free menopause advice and resources on lizarwellbeing.com. And we always love hearing your stories on social media. We are at Lizar Wellbeing. Do you think these testosterone patches would make a real difference to your life? Well, you can let me know. I'm on Instagram too, at Me. Okay, until the next time we chat, go very well. Goodbye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.